This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark, episode number 20 of Hitting the Mark, to be exact. What an inspirational journey it's been for me, and I hope the same holds true for you. I know for a fact that it has been an inspiration for the latest supporters of the podcast, Nathan Kane from Little Rock, Arkansas, and Laugh all the way from Serbia. Both are monthly supporters on the Brandster level, which means they will partake in my next monthly group call in September, which I'm greatly looking forward to. So thank you, Nathan, and Laugh for your support. And I'd love for you too to turn into a Patreon by clicking the support button on hittingthemarkpodcast.com so we can try to keep this show advertising free and community supported. For this special 20th episode, I'm thrilled to welcome our first guest from the new green economy. Indeed, we are talking THC and CBD, a space that has been on a fast rise and one that has been a fertile playground for entrepreneurs with a keen sense for branding. On the forefront of this movement is the bespoke brand Bebo and co-founder Clement Kwan. Bebo is a lifestyle cannabis brand founded in 2016, which the New York Times has called the Hermes of Marijuana. <laughs> Bebo includes cannabis vaporizers and edible pastels and caters to discerning consumers. Bebo merged with Green Thumb Industries in late February of this year, 2019. Quan started his professional career in tech mergers and acquisitions and transitioned into business development and executive roles across the fashion industry, working for companies such as Theory, Diesel, and Dolce & Gabbana. In 2012, Clement joined the YOOX Group as president of U.S. operations. Quan graduated from UC Berkeley. Welcome to the show, Clement. Thank you very much. Uh, Fabian. Let me start off by saying what a great pleasure it is to have an entrepreneur like you on the show who clearly understands and strategically utilizes the power of brand in everything he touches. So without going any further, let's start off with the question of all questions. <laughs> what does branding mean to someone like you? You know, having worked in the, the fashion and luxury world for so many years and and having built um, Bebo with um, Scott Campbell, branding really is emotion. And it's the it's an incitement of emotion, which is really, I, I think, fascinating to see. Um, not to go off into a tangent, when I was at Ukes, um, and running the U.S. operations, um, I, de I decided to to chat with and communicate with our ten largest consumers. Um, these are people who spend at least uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars per year online, and I decided to call and or have uh, tea with them. And what I realized was one lady in particular 
who spent on exactly $274,000 per year told me that she doesn't drink, she doesn't do drugs. Um, what she does is shop online as it makes her happy. So from that moment on, I, I really realized that a brand incites emotion and any good brand incites emotion either through aesthetics, story, or just some X factor that you can't really um, describe. So um, not to get really hippy dippy, but, or to Venice uh, on us, um, <laughs> it's, um, there's just juju involved and uh, we can attest it to emotion. So that's, Totally. No, I, I love I love that story. And sorry for um, chinxing the the Yuke's name. Um, I, I read the story behind the name Yuke, so I figured maybe it's just the letters, but it's not it's not Y O O X. It's Yuke's. Um, this was yeah. this was a great this was um, this was a, this was a great um, way of, of describing branding. It really comes down to emotion, and it's interesting how you say it's something that you really you really can't touch. It's something that you feel, and it's really hard. To, to talk about how it's being derived. And that is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast, to kind of talk to different people that have done it successfully and to get a little bit more out of them of how, how they actually did derive it with, with their companies. So let's, let's back up a little bit. I, I read in Forbes um, that you grew pot to get through college. So that's on air now, but it's also been in Forbes. So it's okay. Um, and that was back in Berkeley when you were, you were a student. And then you pivoted into a fashion career at Diesel and Dolce Gabbana. Um, it seems like Bebo is the direct result of equal parts fashion, design, branding, and cannabis. How did how did Bebo start? So um, when I was at Berkeley, I was actually studying corporate finance and um, decided to grow uh, weed um, just because I really didn't have any money for uh, tuition. So I met a really nice hippie. Um, who decided to teach me how to grow marijuana. I already loved gardening and have a green thumb. And this really presented itself as a wonderful opportunity to not only fulfill a passion, but also to make money, which I needed. So I did that for about three and a half years. And then I actually became a tech M&A investment banker in the Silicon Valley from 2000 to 2001, um, which basically made me stop growing marijuana. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I have always had a passion for it. And I vowed to myself in 2000, when I stopped, that I would get back into it in one way, shape or form. So after the tech market exploded, I decided to move to New York in 2000, late 2001, beginning of 2002, to get into the fashion world. Um, because I was raised by a single mother. My single mother took me shopping very, very frequently and asked me really insane questions like, um, does this color look good on me? What looks good on me? You know, does this fit well, et cetera, et cetera. So I sort of fell in love with fashion just because it, I was bonding with my mother. So tech market exploded, moved to New York, and then first job was at Theory, then went to Diesel. Helped do a repositioning of the brand in uh, for for America, um, then moved to Milan for seven years and took the license back for 
D&G or Dolce & Gabbana, and then became the president of Uke's Net-A-Porter, the biggest you know, online luxury retailer uh, in, on a global basis. So long story short, I had children in 2014, and I basically had to look myself in the mirror. Um, having done what I've done in both banking and fashion, you know, I knew that my passion was marijuana. So after having a, a, a child, I was thinking to myself, if my son asked me, <laughs> what did I do when I grew up? The, the wonderful romantic answer is follow your passion. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, wow, that's a wonderful thing to say. But if you don't do it, it's very disingenuous to say. So at that point, this is like late 2014, um, I decided um, to really embrace that passion, um, not be ashamed of it. And, and sort of the universe opened itself up and I met Scott Campbell. Um, through Tom Kartsotis, who founded uh, Shinola and Fossil. Uh, we bonded over um, our love for marijuana. And then we decided to embark on a journey called Bebo. Um, we didn't quite know what it was, but we did know that we wanted to build something that was aspirational, um, something more aesthetically pleasing, uh, something lower dose. And we wanted to have two. I guess different form factors, which is you know inhalable and ingestible, and we just incubated the idea, and that's literally the genesis of of Bebo. It wasn't to say let's build a luxury brand, let's build, let's target women, let's do. We just had a we just have a genuine love for the plant, and just so happened to have great experience um, building luxury brands and businesses. Uh, Scott Campbell does or has done a lot of work with Marc Jacobs, Mr. Arnaud, uh, Hennessy, all the, the brands in the LVMH stable. So um, we both come from um, that, that sort of pedigree and um, wanted to build something that was considerate, um, beautiful, and um, really for ourselves. So that's a very long answer to your question. No, that's 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 beautiful. And Scott, um, who's who's also a tattoo artist, right? Um, he um, and and a tattoo artist of a certain uh, pedigree. He, I, I think he's uh, he he did uh, he tattooed everyone from Jennifer Aniston to Robert Downey Jr. So um, very very high end tattoo, um, you know, artist. But he created the intricate patterns that became such an important part of the brand language of Bebo. But I assume that at some point in that journey, you must have engaged a packaging design and branding firm, right? Um, can you walk us through that process a little bit? Like, when did you start to actively invest in branding with, with the startup? We did everything in-house. It's amazing. Scott has always assembled a, a wonderful internal team of packaging people and he's also very hands-on so everything that is Bebo was done in-house because um, you started with a team right we started with them um, consultants and and just friends and it so yeah we didn't have any focus groups we didn't have any agencies we didn't have 
anything really we did everything um internally and that's why it is authentic and 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 because of your combined background um a, again the parts of design fashion brand right um and and cannabis it, it feels like it is a brand that can happen intrinsically not so with a lot of other founders who don't have uh, you know any of that brand or, or design kind of background um where did the name the brand name come from bebo is actually scott's grandmother's name so when we're in the course of thinking of a name for for our company you know we had so many different ideas and suggestions and ultimately what we were trying to do with bebo is inject a little bit of fun sexiness and levity into the industry which was dominated that was male dominated um very juvenile, very, you know, traditional, stereotypical stoner. So Scott told me a story about his grandmother, B. Bo, and how his mother, when he was from the ages of seven to 14, she battled cancer. And every week, the grandmother would come, B. Bo, um, and bring brownies, uh, one sort of set for um, Scott and his sister, and the other set for his mother. And during this entire time, he had no idea his mother was battling cancer because Bebo injected levity into a very shitty situation um, because she was making marijuana brownies for his mother and normal brownies for uh, uh, Scott and his sister. So that story unto itself was both uh, inspirational because she in literally injected levity, fun, everything into really a bad situation. And we were like, wow, we should do the same with Bebo. Um, not to that, not that grave, but um, um, let's have Bebo inject a bit of sexiness, fun and um, levity into the marijuana industry. And that's where Bebo came from. And and change change the idea of what the industry stands for and who is actually the user of today's today's cannabis products, right? So you with that with that one simple story, which is which is so so emotional, talking about emotions, right? Um, you 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 captured a lot of the spirit of of the brand. I, I really really like it. I love that you actually talk about this on your on your website as well. The, going back to the first question about what a brand is this is what a brand is so we have a genuine passion for marijuana growing it selling it i mean pretty much everything uh, right so um there's bebo and that's a very emotional story um, of a grandmother a person and really just making a, a bad situation wonderful or very very you know tolerable right um and then our experience so i think it's this emotion and this sort of genuine passion that is injected into Bebo. And I think that's what makes a brand a brand. It's our personality. It's us. Um, we can't, we couldn't even script it, right? We can't right. do a focus group. It's just, it's truly an extension of us. And, uh, you know, he's covered in tattoos. I'm covered in tattoos, but yet Bebo is loved by women and really aspirational fancy women and we're like wow how did that happen you know <laughs> um, but it, it comes back to you know 
I was raised by a single mother. He had a very good, Scott had a very good relationship with his mother and grandmother. So, you know, the, the, there's a strong female um, presence and, and, and impression on us. So, um, so yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a layer. It's one layer after another, right? Like you keep adding these layers to the brand that are all authentic, that are all part of what you're trying to create. And then at some point, all of these layers together are this beautiful cake, right? And everyone can't resist, right? So it's kind of like this, this, this idea of just adding one little piece at a time. Like you said, you can't script it. Um, you know, even when I work with, with entrepreneurs who, who don't have this, um, you know, intrinsic idea of what the brand needs to be, they really know what they want a product to be but they don't know what the brand needs to be and I, I really all I do is I just I just derive it out of them too it's like I can't create a story for them I can just help tell their story in in a better way and 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 try to try to create authenticity that is already inside of them but just kind of like get it out of them it's, it's really therapy I mean <laughs> that's pretty much what it is you know um exactly you you mentioned uh, you were you were also president of Netapote, which you know you just you just don't even include in your bio because of everything you accomplished um, in your life. So congratulations, that's a pretty pretty big deal, um, and it and it feels only natural to talk about another high end fashion powerhouse so let's talk barneys for a minute here um i used to be a barneys fanatic then i married a smart woman and now i'm more of a barneys three times a year kind of guy um but what a fabulous and inspiring institution barney has always been uh, to me and and to most designers um around the world and before we talk about your current bebo collaboration with barneys so totally between you and me and you know whoever is listening what do you make of the barneys bankruptcy i mean right after dean and deluca you mentioned you 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 know you lived in new york for a while what is going on in the world of high end shopping you know i I, I don't even think it's just Barney's. It's pretty much the industry as a whole. Um, there's, you know, there's going back 10 years, there's a lot of money in the industry and not from a consumer perspective. It's, it's from the institutional investors where private equity pours a lot of money into the industry an industry that at, at certain echelons is very non-democratic. So all your luxury brands are now getting private equity money. Mm -hmm. Before the money came in, every distribution was very selective. It's about scarcity. It's about you know the consumer experience physically in the store. And post money, um, Obviously, private equity has a horizon, right? Three years, three, four years, and then exit. Mm -hmm. So a lot of pressure has been put in on the industry to get sales, make profits. But this is at the sort of the price of scarcity and um, distribution. So if you walk into any store, if you go onto any website, just look at the assortment of products um, on the sites or on the floor. It's the same thing. So mm -hmm. it's because every brand is now selling to every store. Before it was, okay, I'm going to sell to Colette, Corso Como. I'm going to sell to one department store in the UK, one department store in America. And now 
everything is everywhere and it's accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week on social media channels. Um, and I think that the day of reckoning is sort of coming where I think uh, there's too much accessibility. And I think there's a kind of, there's going to be a pullback. Um, and I think um, for whatever reason, Barney is, you know, going through another transformation or evolution. And then you're going to start seeing many others doing the same thing. So Barney's being a leader, taking, you know, taking the bandaid off and doing what they need to do. And a lot of it is predicated on, you know, rent hikes, especially in on Madison Avenue. But I think it's a good idea for every retailer to look at what works, what doesn't, and really look for that point of view again, both online and offline. So why are people shopping on one site or store versus the other? You know, before Sarah Colette had a very distinctive point of view. Um, Sotsani has a very distinctive point of view in Corso Como. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have your Bergdorf Goodman has a very distinctive point of view. But I think, um, I think there needs to be a refinement again, an evolution um, in the industry. So, I I love how you how you were able to spin this into uh, something that something that can be can be seen as something pretty negative, but how there's you know it's it's fertile ground, right? Something something can happen, and something needs to happen. And I I got my first um, first idea of that when I worked with Ron Herman, um, you know, of the Fred Siegel Empire, and then um, I saw how unique this was, um, you know, what what he was actually creating, and then obviously it got sold, and now it's at the airport, and now it's everywhere, right? And so I think there's something that is happening currently with that accessibility that I totally agree with you it 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 ruins um you know the pleasure of of finding a certain a certain um curated shop and having an experience and finding something that you can't find anywhere else um there used to be the time where you brought back something from your travels and it's kind of like it, it doesn't make sense anymore right what do you get in a museum store in new york you get in a museum store in paris um but interesting interesting observation and your brand has an actual store named the high end which is a brilliant name by the way uh within the physical barney's beverly Hills store i think it's on the fifth on the fifth floor um and within high end the store within the store you can pick up a 60 dollar box of seven pre-roll joints amongst many other gorgeous products of your brand how did that amazing collaboration come about and and what did you learn about your first Barney's customers who I assume would be very different from your customers before but that's that's only an assumption and I also wonder was that the time that you started to pivot the brand to cater mostly towards women or like you said before it was kind of intrinsically that it was catering more towards women but but was that the time where you actually realized oh my god you know you know, wealthy women love our aesthetic. They love our product. Ever since we launched, just due to the nature of the the branding, the aesthetics, the form factor, I mean, it's a rose gold vaporizer. Um, it's more expensive given our experience and background. I mean, if you look at it, Scott and I have sold dresses, purses to women for a good 12 to 13 years. We don't, I don't, I think subconsciously we only know how to market to women, but we just never, you know, articulated it other than building something like a Bebo. So we've always captured it, the very aspirational 
female consumer, not by design, but just by by nature. I don't know, just mm -hmm. yeah, just organically happened. The tagline for our brand is probably um, "my my wife or my girlfriend loves Bebo," and <laughs> and I think that it's. It, um, so yeah, we've always had that aspirational consumer from 25 to 65, and it was predominantly female, and it just happened by by chance. Um, so when Bar Barney's came around, it was just a natural fit, not only because they've known us for so long as you know Scott and Clement in our different iterations, but Scott also has a very dear relationship with um, Matt Matsuka, the creative director of Barney's. And from there, you know, they wanted to do something in cannabis. We had a, a great idea on how to do it. And then we just uh, had a great meeting of the minds. And eight months later, uh, the high end was born. Um, but it's not very difficult. Uh, it wasn't a stretch by any means because that customer that shopped on bar at Barney's was already buying Bebo um, and or had a friend that was using Bebo. Um, so I see. Yeah. Very natural uh, relationship. You on your on your website, on the Bebo website, um, at, the, at the very, very end, like hidden within the about section, um, you're also offering brand consulting. Um, what does that entail and who do you work with and how did it become part of the part of the Bebo brand? You know, it's not something we really focus on too much, but it's there for humanitarian reasons. <laughs> it's humanitarian. Tell me sense. more. <laughs> humanitarian for the industry. So we are extremely open people. What we've created wasn't done in a lab. The, the IP is us. And what we have realized was when we created Bebo four years ago, um, we created a product that was counter to what was happening in the market. What we realized was being a grower myself and dabbling in, you know, let's, let's call it the gray market. There's a lot of people in this industry that have paid their dues, that have been in it for 20 years that have paved the way, that have gone to prison, that have, you know, they're like the OGs of the industry. So what we did was, and I'll make this short, I took this product and I went to these OGs and I said, guys, listen, in order for our industry to move forward, I respect everything that you do because I've done it. But in order for us to really grow and evolve, give this product, which is bourgeois, more expensive, lower potency, and you probably, you've never seen anything like this, please help us support it and or just don't hate on it because once this new consumer comes into the industry, they're not going to stop at just Bebo. They're going to try other brands and then they're going to start asking local politicians and the industry as a whole for more information and this is what's going to drive change. So having said that, we are where we are because they supported us. Now, there's a lot of a, a whole other generation of people and, and entrepreneurs trying to do what we've done. And instead of not helping, we want to make sure that the, the people with the right ideas and the right ethos 
um, and obviously good people are able to succeed because uh, rising tides floats literally all boats. So let's just have consulting out there so that we can help people, you know, flesh through ideas, share with them, um, you know, the pain points that we've gone through and just, you know, let's, let's help evolve this industry in the right way and be a thought leader and a leader as a whole. And um, that's what consulting is about. That's really great. And and as we come slowly to, to the end here, um, you know, one of the questions I always love to ask um, founders is if you can describe your brand in one word. So I call it the brand DNA. So it's one or two words that are all encompassing of the Bebo brand. For instance, for my brand consultancy, Finian, our brand DNA is clarity. And for Evelyne, it would have to be transparency. What is what is Bebo's brand DNA? It empowered. <laughs> it, it's empowered because I think every person who uses it feels empowered. Every woman that works for us is truly empowered. I mean, our entire team is built up of women um, and they run they are the heart and soul of our brand. Um, and it's not by design. Um, so we cater to a female consumer and we only have females working for us, which is, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so the thing that we always preach is that do not let an industry drive you, you drive an industry. Whatever problem you have, you have the authority and the initiative to get it done, fix the problem. Um, you are you are empowered and financially empowered, everything empowered. And I think we just don't say it, it just happens. So yeah, I think even people who use our product feel empowered when they when they use it. They, they're able to discreetly use Bebo and they feel great because they've empowered themselves to get, get high. Um, it's mommy's little helper, so they're empowered <laughs> to be better parents. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just it, people feel empowered when they have uh, our products in their hands, where they work with us, when they interact with us. And um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's what we're really the most proud of. It feels, it feels very, very right. Um, and, and also when you look at, when you look at the packaging and you, you read some of these, you know, um, you know, you know, life lessons and wisdoms that are, that are, you know, hidden within the packaging, it, it is about, it is about empowerment. Even though you say you don't mention it, you don't spell it out. It is subliminally spelled out throughout your entire brand. Um, do you have do you have any other brand advice? Um, and you have already given a lot for founders in any space as 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 a, as a final takeaway, maybe a lesson you may have learned the hard way. You know, something that can just empower to use the word um, fellow entrepreneurs that are not quite at your stage yet. You know, ultimately, um, and I think. If I had a startup in the fashion world or something that was a little bit more traditional, I would have like a big fuck up or something like that that share. But I think I've been, or we have been fortunate enough to build something in the wild, wild west where we charted our own course. 
I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that kindness goes a long way. And I hope that every entrepreneur that starts something is kind, not only to the people and the partners and the world as a whole, but kind to themselves, kind that there is no right answer to what you're doing. Um, there are sometimes parameters, but you're going to mess up. You're going to definitely mess up, but it's just being kind to yourself and your mental health, your physical body, because ultimately that's very, very important. And talking about kindness, when I reached out to you, Clement, um, I, I, you know, I, I read a Forbes, I think it was a two, three page article about uh, Bebo. Um, and I reached out to you completely blindly. I think it was via LinkedIn, or maybe I found your found your email somewhere um, on, on the website. And, you know, very often, I just I just pretend the emails go out and I don't hear back, you know, and, and the more the more, you know, high profile of uh, of a publication, I read about someone that I invite on the show, you know, the likelihood is, is slimmer that they actually get back to me, you got back to me saying, Hey, Fabian, how are you? Sure period. I think it was something like that. And I'm like, that is kindness, right? The idea of like, the first thing you say is, how are you? Um, and there's something there's there's this 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 spirit that comes from you that is, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, shows across your entire brand. Um, so really, really appreciate it. Um, listeners who live in a state where they can legally obtain cannabis, um, how can they get a taste of Bebo? Um, you can find it in California and Colorado in at your favorite dispensaries um, and or um, go to Barney's and <laughs> you can find it there. Um, and then soon with a, a wonderful partner like GTI, we will be expanding into uh, 10 to 11 other states um, in the course of, you know, the next 12 to 18 months. That's amazing. That's fantastic. And thank you, Clement, for your time today. It was, it was such, a, such a pleasure and it was really fascinating um, to have you on Hitting the Mark. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much, Vivian. And thanks to everyone for listening. And if you enjoy this sponsor-free podcast, please help keep it that way and become a sustaining member by hitting the support button on hittingthemarkpodcast.com or by going to patreon.com slash hittingthemark. Our theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.